Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. How's it going, Adam? I'm looking at my desk and the beverages that are on it. Uh-huh. I have three beverages there. Uh, one of them is a half-drank can of lime LaCroix. <laughs> one of them is a mug of half-finished coffee from this morning sure and the other one is a modelo especial <laughs> uh this is what i call the heartburn triple play it's really like uh like when you put wet garbage into a garbage can and it leaks out of the bag yeah that's what my tum is going to be like in about <laughs> 20 minutes it's going to be all of those things sure each well. each on their own and individually quite refreshing <laughs> I'm opening the beer now. I think uh, I think as we do the show, I will return to each one. I'm not a fan of the flavored seltzers. Oh, you're a you're a pure Lacroix person, or I or mean, whatever. I'd say I'd say that Lacroix is fine, and if if there's no other seltzer around i might drink one but uh but yeah if uh if i'm if i'm purchasing seltzer which i don't really do because i have ways to make it myself uh if i'm purchasing seltzer i'm going for a an unadulterated seltzer flavor has anyone ever accused you of having strong opinions w slash r slash t food and drink I mean, it's come up. (laughs) One of the best gifts I ever got, my mom gave me like a seltzer bottle that, you know, you get like a, you get seltzer chargers for it and you make seltzer and then it's like, it's like one of those things that a a Marx brother would spray at another Marx brother. But is uh, is that the same as a whipping siphon? um, Is it the same bottle and, and, and charger configuration? So it's the same principle, but I think it, with a whipping siphon, you use nitrogen to whip it or something not... It's not the same as a seltzer charger, because if you use that on whipped cream, it comes out with a weird seltzery aftertaste. Oh, you which, don't want uh, that. Yeah, which is not, is not a pleasing addition to <laughs> Chantilly. <laughs> Give me a break. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Are you gonna you gonna tell our viewers what that is? Well, Adam, in French cooking, um, you uh, you you take heavy cream and and you can whip it uh, until you get soft peaks, which is chantilly. But there are several phases of whipped cream, all the way from you know liquid heavy cream to butter, and chantilly is the most desirable midpoint for a dessert application. Wow, that is like you read it out of an encyclopedia. You really had that down cold. <laughs> I, I could be totally wrong about that, by the way. <laughs> After you make butter, is that is that stage the refractory? <laughs> uh, that's just how my, my dad's friend Dan explained it to me one time. Oh, geez, your dad's friend Dan taught you how to whip 
soft peaks. Yeah, he also t- taught me how to shuck oysters. Oh. My, my dad's Dan. friend Dan is a cool guy. Yeah, sounds Knows a lot like about it. food. Yeah. I don't remember shucking my first oyster until, like, maybe 10 years ago. I was, a, I was an adult. You were a late bloomer. <laughs> God, in, in every way, every checkbox. <laughs> uh, Wait, oh, you man. weren't? I'd say that there was one area in which I was precocious, and it was the oyster shucking. <laughs> you were you were shucking oysters ten years before you were shaving. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I uh, I would I would walk around my high school, and I could I could just look at the guys walking around that school and know which one of them had shucked an oyster and which one hadn't, just by how they carried themselves. You know, <laughs> your uh, your Letterman's jacket was covered in in patches not for football or or <laughs> basketball but uh but there's like a whisk patch that's yeah. yours yeah <laughs> did you ever in your adolescence have a like an older or cooler dude go hey adam you ever had sex i bet you haven't had sex you don't seem like you have oh no i think that i think that was just assumed it was like, just uh, like to <laughs> even to even waste the breath would be. It was just like it was like a tautology, even bringing it up. I am so tired of that tautology. Yeah, that uh, that Jack's gonna save that breath for uh, for athletics. He's not yeah. gonna waste it on me. <laughs> I, I imagine that happened to you, though. Is that why you? Yeah, bring it I feel up? like I had that experience, like on the on the bus to high school, at some point, where in front of a bunch of people, like one of the older boys asked me if I'd ever had sex, and. That like split second of hesitation revealed to everybody what the what the real answer was. You know, even, even if I had tried to say yeah at that point, you must never hesitate. <laughs> so much happens in that period of hesitation, right? But it's called a pregnant pause. But I feel like anyone who asks the question already knows the answer. Yeah, they're putting you into a thing. I think that uh, just asking the question implies that, like, the person asking the question is implying about themselves that they have. Which is why you always want to be the asker. Right. What I should have realized from that experience is never engage socially with anyone. (laughs) Yeah, were you on a school bus at this point? Like, how did this happen? Yeah, I was on a school bus. A lot of fairly nightmarish shit took place on that school bus. God, no kidding. Not a good time. I did whatever I could to get a ride to school whenever possible. <laughs> well, Adam, do you want to uh, slip into something a little bit more Starfleet? <laughs> yeah, uh, something wherein uh, the both of us don't hesitate when we ask each other questions and then give answers to those questions. Yeah. As we talk we're, about... Uh, we're brimming with confidence on this subject. <laughs> Get into season two, episode sixteen, Shadow Play. Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no, of course you don't. It's a uh, road trip with Dax and Odo. Uh, Mr. Bunker. <laughs> two characters that we haven't really seen much of in the last little while. I feel like Odo, whenever possible, expresses the vibe of someone who doesn't get along well with others. 
<laughs> doesn't have a lot of friends. Certainly yeah. doesn't have a lot of romantic interests. If you were to ask him if he'd ever had sex, I think he no would pause. No quippy retort from Odo on that. <laughs> he would totally pause there. But yeah. uh, that brings to mind like how he talks his way onto this runabout. Like He doesn't have to be there. He's not ordered to be there. Do you think Dax is pumped about this? I feel like Dax is kind of down for... She's into variety, you know? In a cultural anthropology context, I think right. she's super down. I mean, Odo is not something the seven lifetimes old ankylosaur, ankylosaur. has encountered. So I think she's down for a hang with that guy. You know, Odo could put things inside of him, too. I wonder if he could keep an ankylosaur warm. Ankylosaur. Oh, it'd be like Riker, but without the surgery. Yeah, he'd uh, like... He'd have all the cables. He'd, 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 he'd make them. Could he pump nutrients? Like, if, if you gave Odo, like, a pint of blood, could he pump it for you? I'm positive he could, because he can turn into a pump, right? Yeah. Well, Dax is kind of talking through the uh, various romantic gossips taking place on the, on the station. Frankly, Lieutenant, I fail to see any point in your story at all. One little tidbit I enjoyed learning in this was that a Bolian woman has taken over the Jumja station. <laughs> what? It was Jumja not a Bajoran treat? It seems, it seems weird that it would be a Bolian woman. I also assumed that uh, Jumja was native to Bajor. One of the... I I always watch... I always have the episode open with subtitles on next to me when we're recording this so I can scrub through and see what they're talking about. And uh, the the subtitles can get really fun because somebody who is just a professional subtitle writer had to watch the episode and write down what they're saying. And in Star Trek, there are definitely times where such a person could be forgiven for throwing their hands up. (laughs) And uh, one such time is uh, Jemja Kiosk is one word in the estimation of this uh, caption writer. (laughs) Ben, Jemja sticks are extremely sweet Bajoran confections. Man, what is this Bolian woman doing with this cultural appropriation bullshit? I don't know if it's appropriation. I think you go to, uh, you visit the kitchens of ethnic restaurants of all stripes and you'll get all kinds of people uh, preparing and serving food of that kind. So I don't know. Why, why, are you, uh, why are you such a Bajoran purist when it comes to the Jumja stick? I'm just saying the Bajorans have been through a lot. You, uh, you're taking a good, a good paying Bajoran job away from a Bajoran. Artists, musicians confectioners Uh, they've got a proud legacy and they seem so uh so willing to give up the jumja portion of their culture maybe the bajoran dude that worked there before that like stopped serving keiko and miles that time had like had to had to give it up because he got sued for discrimination fair amount of gossip to go around though like, Dax is really giving the, uh, here's what happened last time on, uh, on Real Housewives of DS9. Sort of, a sort of update to Odo. And while Odo, at first, isn't uninterested in the way that I am often uninterested in hearing you update me on, on Vanderpump shit. 
Sure. Uh, he then states a very clear opinion toward the end of the conversation about uh, about some <laughs> of the players involved. Yeah, at a certain point, even even he is not immune to the charms of a Kyle Richardson. <laughs> that you could even have a single name come to mind in that context <laughs> is really impressive. <laughs> Um, like a uh, like a John Vanderpump. <laughs> yep. Love that guy. <laughs> they are out looking into a weird field of energy signatures or something and uh, they they come upon a planet that has a like an omicron particle field on it and um and so they're kind of curious about this. It's like a M-class planet. It seems like a normal place, but they can't detect life signs, and it is very weird that Omicron particles would be just happening naturally, like they are the result of a man-made process, according to Dax. So they decide to beam down to take a peek, see what's going on. I can't remember an away team ever beaming down to an M-class planet and finding no life there, right? That never Seems happens. Seems rare. What do they think this is? City Alpha 6? Right. <laughs> Give me a break. What they beam down to is the Thine Own Self playset. <laughs> it's the same thing. The sensors can pick up neither life signs or a nicely tiled patio, which is what the Thine Own Self playset is. Right. Um... Yeah, and there's no, uh, nobody's dying of, uh, of radiation poisoning in here. Yeah, yeah. Um, what they do find is like a giant techno donut in the middle of the town square that is generating the field. And they're, um, you know, they're, they're poking around at it. It doesn't seem like anybody's up, but uh, at a certain point, Odo turns around and realizes they've been made. And uh, the, the, Local sheriff has drawn down on them with a pistol. <laughs> Is he really the local sheriff? And by local sheriff, I mean like um, groovy guy who I don't know <laughs> lives in a, lives in a California beach community and wants to tell you about the powers of a crystal. He's like burnout Will Teasel. Like if Will <laughs> Teasel post First Blood like went full circle. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, man, I was wrong. Got really into amber beads. <laughs> oh, yeah, we got to talk about these beads, Finn. Yeah. <laughs> like, they, uh, they've they elevated the cultural importance of the taxicab beaded seat cover <laughs> into, like, an actual thing to wear. Yeah, it's like, what if... Uh, what if you got in a car crash with the beaded seat cover and just kept them where they were for the rest of your life? They definitely seem to convey some kind of status or difference because different people wear different amounts of them and in different places. But you don't really know as a viewer what they mean. Yeah. I mean, this guy just might have gotten to the parade first and then... Uh, and then caught all of them. <laughs> he had the best boobs. <laughs> I mean, you could tell. Great tits on that guy. Yeah, real hot tits. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, that is our very tense, high stakes cut to title sequence. Do you think Odo's ever afraid of being shot? 
I don't it, know. Do you, can he, do like, you think that's why he, he's such a cool customer here? Can he T-1000 his way around the laser beams? Sure feels like he should be able to. He definitely doesn't give Dax a a good heads up. He <laughs> he really just uh, lets her prattle on. with like It doesn't seem like he really has her back here. <laughs> no, I agree. Even though, if he wanted to, he could literally have her back. Back on the station, we, we introduced the B and the C story. The B story being Major Kira catching up with Quark on the uh, on the topic of his cousin and whether or not that cousin will be meeting him to do crime. What an unexpected pleasure. He's gone, Quark. Quark has, uh, has seen the absence of Odo on the station as a great opportunity to do some dirt. And Kira is on to him. Like, they, the cousin showed up, and the second anybody, like, asked him who he was or what he was doing here, he, you know, psych-to-psych transported on a ship that was already leaving... And Kira kind of, like, comes clean with Quark about how much she hates his guts in this scene in a way that I've been kind of waiting for somebody to put it in terms as stark as this. I don't just not like you. I despise you. Oh! No, sick burn, bro! Sick burn! Especially because up until now, we've had a season and a half of them sniping at each other, but it almost felt like it felt like it was sort of out of love. Almost the way that the way that friends really dunk on each other, like it, it felt as though it didn't come from a from a pure amount of loathing that Kira is expressing here. Sure. What she says to him is pretty mean. I mean, but also true. Like he he did collaborate with the Cardassians. He's happy to do business with anybody. He yeah. does cheat his customers. Yeah, like that's not wrong. And he has, in fact, put the station in danger many times, which is. Something that like we've we've commented on a bunch. Like, wh- at what point does the chi- do the chickens come home to roost for Quark? Like, why is he tolerated? That's a great it- point. She's expressing a feeling that we've had for a long time about him, and it only sounds strange to me because it's gone unsaid for so long. It is weird that it's gone unsaid. I think uh, it's good that it has been said, and it feels like. It feels like something in the writer's room maybe changed here where somebody said like, hey, listen, I've been thinking a lot about the role that Quirk plays and I feel that we haven't stated, like, nobody is really his antagonist in a serious way anymore, you know? Like, sure, we have Odo occasionally telling him about the crime that Odo knows he's about to try and commit and warning him off of it, but they haven't really... They haven't been antagonists in an interesting way in a long time. And I like that they're inserting this tension in a more emphatic way. Yeah, it appears as though Kira and Odo are far more uh, in lockstep with their opinion of Quark than they ever have been before. Like, yeah. Kira, at, Kira seems to have been more playful about it up until now. And now it seems like there's a harder line. And of course, our C story, Adam, is Jake Sisko is going to get a job. Yeah, at the urging of his dad. His dad's like, look, you're, uh, you're 15 and a half or whatever. I guess uh, the legal age for 
employment has not changed <laughs> in several hundred years. And he's like, uh, if you're going to make it in Starfleet, you better learn from the best that we have. <laughs> the best of what's available. And that would be one Chief O'Brien. I am Chief Miles Edward O'Brien. This is fucking spectacular. And this is something that Jake has mixed feelings about. They've been sort of planting the seeds of this for a few episodes now. And it seems like Avery Brooks maybe went a little far with his portrayal of how much Cisco wants Jake to go to Starfleet Academy. <laughs> because he literally says it like Starfleet Academy. As if it has its own accompanying like sound effect sting at the end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The way he holds his hands up, who has ever done that in the history of naming a college they want their kid to go to? I guess every overbearing dad? It's almost as if he's embodying Jake's reluctance to go by by cartoonishly making it into the big deal that right. Jake believes he's making it into. Yeah. Like there's a weird meta amount of like feedback looping on on that. True indeed. Yeah, you got to read the room, Ben Cisco. I wonder read if the room a little bit. Wonder if Jake goes to work with Chief O'Brien and is like, "No, I already I already learned this stuff from your replicant last week. <laughs> we can actually skip ahead." And how that would make Chief O'Brien feel? Yeah. Anything you want to know about him because I spent a lot of time building a radio with him. So, uh, you know, ask away if you're curious. <laughs> you know the uh, the urinals on the promenade don't have partitions, so uh, <laughs> I could tell you about that too. That's uh, that's Cardassian uh, architecture for you. It's like, come on, guys, give us a little bit of privacy. Yeah, uh, yeah, they're way close together. This is a space station, not a ballpark. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Deep Space Nine has troughs, right? Yeah. Mining station? It's got to be. It's, yeah, it's, it's not got, built it's, for comfort. It's the stainless steel trough that's got like a trickle of water running constantly. Yeah. Yeah, and you like, know there's no ice in there either. No, they're not putting the ice in. They're not running a classy operation like that. <laughs> no. They're also, you know, like there's no way to put a urinal cake in there. So you know there's buildup. I went to a basketball game with a good friend of mine. Like one of my one of my great great friends. It's uh, a a Portland Trailblazers game this season. Down there with him, and uh, it is a stadium style bathroom there, with partitions though, like partitions between urinals. All right. And so like you you wait in the line. I'm 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 painting this picture for anyone who has never been into a men's restroom at a sporting event. So there's like a lineup because it's busy. A lot of gentlemen maybe uh, over consuming watered down beer and yeah. need, needing to relieve themselves you just wait in the queue and then you pop into the empty that someone leaves it's it's very orderly i would say that sporting event restroom and movie theater restroom are the two men's rooms that there's reliably a wait for yeah that's fair uh anyway so me and my good friend are in this line and i'm front of the line and so i i go and then i leave and I'm waiting outside because we're going to go grab some more beers and snacks. And my good friend comes out and uh, nothing is nothing is said about it until after the game, at which point my good friend mentions the need to go again. And I 
don't regard this as anything strange. People have bladders of different sizes. Don't I know it, Adam? When he comes out uh, for the second time, he's like, yeah, I wasn't able to go the first time. What? I just didn't go. I just stood there. That's what he said. Because Because, because of bashful, bashful bladder. bladder. What? And I, and I have known people who have said, oh, yeah, like, I've, I've got a bashful bladder. I don't... I." I have a hard time going, but I've never known someone who has like stepped up to the plate <laughs> and like, and like bat in hand has yeah. been unable to swing. Right. Like, like false alarm. I feel like I only get bashful bladder if I think about it ahead of time. Like if I, like, I don't really consider myself to have it, but if I'm like standing there waiting, I'm like, what if I was one of those people with bashful bladder and then it might take me like three extra seconds to get it going. Right. Yeah. I don't know why I've never had that problem. Yeah. Well, anyways, (laughs) uh, we've spent enough time in the trough, Adam. Let's talk about, uh, let's talk about this situation on this Omicron planet where Dax and Odo have been taken sort of into custody are we being accused of some kind of crime by the local protector he calls himself have you committed one and uh like i hate to keep ringing this bell but like this has got to be sort of a joke for odo right like (laughs) yeah like he he at any point is just going along with this very much as a joke like odo is able to beam himself up to the runabout and back in a way that sort of makes it seem like the protector has never heard of a transporter beam. Yeah. Never encountered this technology before. Yeah, he kind of transport explains him. Right. But uh, this guy is very interested in this because he says, you know, it turns out like a whole bunch of people have disappeared from this town recently. And if this is the kind of technology you're wielding, you're now like my suspects number one and number two. Makes some logical sense here if if you consider his perspective. It does, but he winds up taking their word for it that they have not been in the system long enough for it to make any sense because this is, this is a problem that's been going on for like a year or so. Yeah. And the last victim vanished six hours ago, and they weren't here for any of that. They just got here like an hour ago. So They have an alibi. They have an alibi that he does nothing to actually verify. (laughs) But he believes him, you know. Do you have any other suspects? You are my only ones. But the concern feels real. This concern of these disappearing people numbers now in the dozens. And uh, and the the patriarch of this camp uh, is, is Rarigan. Yeah. And he's the guy with the great concerns. He doesn't want any more people disappearing. He's got young children here. He's got he's got people of all kinds. He's expressing a concern for their leaving, but also it's unclear as to if he's like an elected leader or anything or just a speaker on their behalf. Like, did you have an understanding of like what he was? I I just got the sense that it was a small enough community that like the oldest person around, which he is, has yeah. some has some authority over He's the, the guy with the most beads. Yeah. <laughs> He's rocking a ton of beads. Um, yeah, and like the, the fact that there's a mystery afoot really turns Odo's crank. Like he is super interested and wants to get involved, like wants to put his, some of his investigative skills into play, you know? 
one of the missing people is uh, the mother of a girl named Taya, who aka uh, Clara Sutter. Yeah, from the imaginary friend episode of TNG. It it almost seems impossible that this little girl could go an entire episode of Star Trek without saying the name Isabella. I know. <laughs> Isabella, truly the exocomp of the Imaginary Friends episode of TNG. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't it doesn't even make an appearance here and it really seemed strange. But she does a great little performance, I I would say. I thought uh, I thought she was a totally good actor, both in Imaginary Friend and in this episode. I don't feel like she has aged at all. Like, you know, the way children age very fast, like even year to year, they look very different. She right. looks exactly as she did in Imaginary Friend. Yeah, it's, uh, I was, I was taken right back to, to that. And I think that's why I kind of, it was a little, almost despite how good her performance is, I was a little distracted just because I was expecting her to be more of the character from like it's it's two different characters that's the thing that's interesting about it there's not a lot of child actors that have like a lot of range <laughs> yeah <laughs> but i feel like she does she's like a like a like it's like a very different kind of melancholy that she has in this in this episode yeah back on the station it's uh, it's day 1 of the internship that, uh, that Jake has with Chief O'Brien. Chief O'Brien? One thing that's never expressed here, like Chief O'Brien's game. He's just game for all this. He's excited to be teaching Jake. Yeah. But like, this is an uncomfortable position for a subordinate to be put in by a commanding officer. And that is never expressed. Like when, the, when, uh, when Commander Sisko asks you a favor to help out his kid, like yeah. you can't say no to that. Bit of an awkward position for Chief O'Brien to be in, but there's some touching moments here. Cisco gives Jake his first communicator badge. Thanks, Dad. It's standard equipment for all station personnel. It's a big moment in anyone's life. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I feel like kids are getting cell phones pretty young these days, but Jake is uh, 15 or 16, getting his first communicator badge. Yeah. He's also getting his first knuckless onesie. <laughs> That's a big moment in anyone's life, too. Yeah, the, that knuckless onesie moment. I wonder if there is any sentimental value connoted to the communicator badge in the way that, like, what happened to Jennifer Sisko's communicator badge? And, like, is that in a desk drawer somewhere in Ben's office? Like... Does Ben have plans to give that to Jake? Would that is the communicator a thing that people share and cherish? When Tasha Yar died, I don't think they held on to that one, did they? Is there a twelve month upgrade cycle where it's like you constantly feel like you have a shitty communicator badge <laughs> because they put out the new one and it has like, you know, unlock with your face technology or whatever? You constantly have to charge it. <laughs> I wanna know this stuff. Basically if I'm inside, the thing is charging. <laughs> <laughs> O'Brien's on the loose. No, he's not. He's uh, he's just taking a shower. <laughs> also happening on the station is the arrival of Vedic Barail, who yeah. uh, is there to speak at a conference taking place on the station, but makes it no surprise that he's truly there to see Kira. 
I found it interesting the pacing of this episode because I mean we're like fifteen ish minutes in at this point. The arrival of Vedic Brile is like is going to be a major plot point in any episode that it happens in because he's a big deal. He's a powerful political, you know, has is he's political and religious power, but also is a love interest of Major Kira. It's weird to and, see him uh, with his shirt on. It really comes in just kind of from left field at this at this point in the episode and I liked that about it because it coming in from left field was sort of intentional. It feels like a lot of story plates to spin, especially really does. in the time that they are introduced. Like to be introducing a third story at this at this moment in time seemed pretty ambitious. Well, it feels like they're introducing a fourth story. And right. I think that's why it feels like that is yeah. it's like wait, is Kira haranguing Quark this episode or is she banging Beryl? Yeah. And the truth a, of that is only revealed at the end. It's a real haranguing or banging conundrum. <laughs> Are harangabangs apes or, or monkeys? <laughs> yeah. We'll have to check and see if they have a tail. If I were a monkey, I'd be a harangabang. Yeah. It's uh, it's it's nice to see you aspiring to something greater than uh, than what you've already achieved, Adam. Anything is better than podcaster. <laughs> How do? Yeah, do you do you introduce yourself as podcaster? Is that what your stated career is at this point? I think it has made the case for itself in a way I can no longer deny. Like. Yeah. And it's purely from a how do I spend my time aspect. Like, I mean, admittedly, you spend most of your time like going back and forth to uh, acupuncture (laughs) treatments. But but like when you when you can squeeze it in, it's like either filmmaking or (laughs) podcasting. Son of a bitch. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. From time to time, I will dabble in the pod. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I guess, I mean, not professionally, because I'm not getting paid for it, but, like, my main thing is getting acupuncture, and then sometimes I do some other stuff. I had my acupuncture person uh, stick things in my ears that then sh- that she then left there for a couple of days. Like, they're little, uh, they're like tiny Band-Aids, like tiny square-shaped Band-Aids Whoa. In, my, in my ears. I'm getting this treatment, Ben, because I've, I've been, like, clenching my jaw really bad at night, and it's been getting worse. But uh, the stuff really does do the trick for me. So that's why yeah. I keep going as often as possible. Well, I don't want you to clench your jaw badly. I can relate to that, certainly, in these stressful times. Yeah, well, th- thanks for your concern, Ben. What does the thing in the ear even do? Like, wh- How does that work? Well, I mean, you'll frequently see a chart on the don't wall. Don't make me out to be an asshole. I'm fucking, <laughs> I'm fucking sympathizing with you here. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> what is that even? What is that even meant to imply? <laughs> that I don't care about your well-being? Fuck you! Of course I do. You You're just, one of my best friends. You just made fun of the uh, of the frequency and quantity of of uh, of medical treatment I've been getting. <laughs> it just always seems like you don't, you don't expect me to be defensive about that. I just it just always seems like we have to schedule around it. <laughs> All I'm saying. Hmm. All right. 
Well, uh, I'll try to I'll try to go without it and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever yeah, you real, want, Ben. I'm a real monster. To be quite honest about it, I was in a Mr. Bucket, I have to revert back to my dead state. I don't use the bucket anymore. When Vedic Barail and Kira are together in the same scene, there are some fireworks, Ben. Yeah. It's, un- it's undeniable. The guy who plays Vedic Burial, Philip Anglim, it's not his fault that he is not as charismatic as Nen- as Nana Visitor. I, mean, did- I think he's kind of playing non-charismatic. He plays a subdued and and kind of tranquil dude in this character. And Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. But I mean, I think when you're whenever you're sharing a scene with Nana, with Nana Visitor, like she has a thousand different micro expressions going off at once, right? That cannot help but just subsume anyone that she's in a scene with. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fun though. Like she's, it's cool to see her crushing too. She's crushing. She doesn't want to kind of break the etiquette of their official relationship, and he is not tethered to those kind of that kind of feeling of needing to stay within propriety he's he admits to her that he's kind of crushing too and it's really fun to see them pal around together with that stated explicitly actually i was hoping you'd be happy to see me oh i am your calling of attention to that impropriety is important and it takes the shape of something else too because at this conference uh, part of what happens there is is Vedic Burial's comments are counter to the to the going opinions on the subject, and this is something that Kira is is willing to argue with him about. I think this is important character building for Vedic Burial in that it makes the case that he is not a hardline person. It makes the case that he is not a celibate religious figure, like that he's willing to. Uh, to be different in how religious figures are typically portrayed on the show. Like, he's he's willing to be strange and do things unexpected. I really like that about him. I like that he is not interested in the kind of dogmatic view of the Bajoran religion in a way that Vedic Wynn very emphatically is. Like, and And it's an opportunistic dogmatism, but... Uh, in a in a modern context, he would be like the preacher in jeans with the goatee, yeah, and like yeah, a rock the, uh, band, the affliction t shirt, yeah, like and that's <laughs> like you hope he's not one of those, but no. but like yeah. in attitude, like he's willing to go his own way, right? Well, back on planet Omicron particle, the Odo investigation is really popping off. Dax has gotten nowhere with her tricorder and has switched over to using a local tricorder, which is not confounded by the Omicron field. And she's trying to find if there's evidence of like people beaming out or whatever, but um, there's, there's no such evidence. We've got, uh, you know, Odo, he talks to Clara about when her mom, who's the last person to disappear, disappeared and like whether she was happy or sad or or whatever there's some fun character building with odo in this scene because she doesn't even believe in shapeshifters and 
he insists that he is one and uh and they talk about like what what it would be like to be a shapeshifter and the idea of being like a party trick shapeshifter right comes up and it reveals some kind of some hurt in odo the fact that he had entertained people who asked him to change into the shape of something else frequently in the past and found that he felt used and like he wasn't developing real friendships with people because of it and hence his hesitation to just do it to to make a point i wish it were that easy yeah it's a it's a strange form of popularity that he is describing like people want to be with him but they want to be with him on their terms instead of his right and uh he also kind of puts the screws to rurigan who is very insistent that the people who have disappeared are gone forever and will never be found but also insistent that uh you know he like he does he won't reveal why he knows that or or like you know defend that position at all that's just his position man yeah like the idea of of everything everything's in the valley so why would they want to leave anyway like like there's no way that these lost people have left the valley Everything they need is right there. Ben, that's got to be something that you've heard from living in L.A. for a while, right? <laughs> like, yeah. once you're in the valley, you never leave. That's true, yeah. You just try and, you, you try and stay out of the, uh, the gravitational singularity that is the valley. <laughs> <laughs> so we kind of bounce back and forth between the station and what's happening on the planet's surface. The stuff with Jake is fairly low stakes. It's basically just a reminder that something is going on between Jake and O'Brien as we go. He's he's struggling to grasp the finer concepts of of what O'Brien's life is like, specifically having to do with work. Boy, I felt like everything was so low stakes in this episode. And in yeah. a way that like I like a good low stakes Star <laughs> Trek episode. Yeah. I will defend a, a nice a nice TNG episode where it basically doesn't even matter at all. Yeah, that's one of the best things that show ever did. This one, it feels like it's trying to set up stakes and failing. Mm. And I think that the big misstep is that in the A storyline, these people are disappearing and we have never met any of them. We have no emotional attachment to any of them. We just kind of have to take the show's word for it that we have to like feel bad that they're gone and connect with Odo's desire to find them. It is so random and out of left field. It doesn't feel like anything, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, it really like loads up. You take up. one look at all these fucking beads hanging out of everybody's hat and you're like, we're never going to see these aliens again. <laughs> this is not a real alien. It's, yeah, like the beads foreshadow the ending for sure. It really loads up the Taya character to carry the burden of interest, though. Like, because she's grieving for her lost mom, that's that's what we're given to hold on to as a reason for caring. And unfortunately, like, it doesn't matter how good of a portrayal the Taya character is. Like, if we don't know anyone who di- who's disappeared, then we can't really feel her grief. Yeah, I mean, and I think that this actress does as much with that grief as cad could be done. She right. does a great job. It's just it's a it's a fundamental story flaw. Like I think that the the inciting incident should not have been Dax and Odo thinking that they're arrested, you know? Yeah. 
It should have been something else. But she takes them to the edge of town, like the edge of the valley, the furthest place that she's ever been from where she lives, which is a scraggly dead tree that she says she likes to play around. And uh, Dax and Odo, like, keep walking, and Dax's local tricorder disappears right out of her hand in a very bad CGI tracking shot. Yeah, and uh, Taya, not far behind them, uh, picks some berries and brings them to them, and uh, and totally Polaroid from Back to the Futures them in trying to hand them over. I kind of wish they had cited the Moriarty stuff from TNG because this reveals to Dax and Odo and everybody that this is a village of hologram people who didn't realize they were hologram people, but... You know, unlike less sophisticated holodeck characters, they can wrap their minds around that and are satisfied when proof is presented to them. You know? Yeah. It's like the big goodbye gangster stepping into the hallway and disappearing. They can't do this to me. Don't they know who I am? I'm Cyrus Redblock! Like, don't know what's going on, but these people do. Like, oh, people are disappearing. They find out their holograms and still... No sense of urgency seems to develop here. Yeah. Morn, 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 sweet morn, morn, morn. You hear, buddy? Morn. Stop. Hammer time. Back on the station, Kira and uh, Vedic Brile have been uh, playing some some sports against each other, and uh, they're they're cleaning up a post sports dinner. And they start to uh, have a pretty hot makeout sesh. Yeah, it's on. It's on. All of this tension that we've banked up until now turns into a smooch, a talking smooch at that. Let's make out, but let's not let exposition fall by the wayside. <laughs> we've got to get some exposition out. We only have 42 minutes of episode. <laughs> and who do they want to talk about but Prylar Ritt. The Ritt. It's going to be returning to Bajor. Yeah, this is a real end of usual suspects moment for Kira. <laughs> because she realizes now that as good as it feels to be making out with uh, with Vedic Burail, uh, it has been a manipulation of her in order to get her off of the scent of the quark bit of criminality that was teased in the cold open. Right. Quark's cousin turns out has uh, has stolen stuff from a Cardassian museum and is attempting to uh, attempting to sell it via Quark here on the station. And what she realizes is that Vedic Barail's presence has been in- engineered entirely to give her something better to pay attention to. Pretty shrewd move by Quark. I was impressed. Yeah, that's some three dimensional chess. The guy's good. Guy is good. He's got the lobes for it. That is taking place, and we also get kind of a bombshell reveal from Jake Sisko in a hang with Chief O'Brien. He reveals to O'Brien that Starfleet is not really what he aspires to be doing in the future. Yeah, kind of a a Wesley-type reluctance about joining Starfleet. Well, and Wesley, like at least at the beginning, wanted to. But 
in a similar fashion is feeling encouraged in a way that that feels out of their control and that's that that i think is part of why he's why he wants to reject it the thing that i wish they did with jake's character is a thing that i had hoped they had done from the start which was make the death of his mother a a major chip on his shoulder yeah i think his reluctance to join Starfleet gets a little more interesting if he blames Starfleet for the death of his mom and the and the aloneness of his father. But as it is, it's never portrayed as that. It's just a conflict of ambition or skill because uh, unlike Wesley Crusher, Jake is not the smartest kid on the station and is struggling in school. Wait, With is some- he... He's struggling with some with some engineering concepts that Wesley never would. I mean, I feel yeah, like that's true. I feel like uh, Jake is is book smart, but not trade smart. Right, but book smart can lead to trade smart. Like he's he is actually engaged in what he's doing with the chief right. in a way that you know it's he's he knows that this isn't his passion, but he's actually like working on it. You know, yeah, which I think is a good experience for a first job, you know, like that's definitely something that I went through is like, Oh, like I'm not, uh, not passionate about, uh, working in a museum, but the, you know, like getting good at this is like worth doing just for its own sake. I mean, this is something that's expressed by O'Brien here too. And that, uh, you know, his parents groomed him to be a musician. It wasn't something that, uh, that he felt fulfillment from, and so yeah. uh, and so he took a left and went into Starfleet. Like these are he was going to go to the Aldebaran Music Academy. Yeah, which is uh, one of the best. The only other thing we know about Aldebaran is Aldebaran whiskey. So I feel like that would have been great for Chief O'Brien. Yeah, yeah, he'd probably be dead by now. Be he'd be around all that whiskey. Be great. <laughs> he would have loved it. So back on the surface of the planet. The deal with the Omicron particulator is that uh, is that it's on the fritz, and they they the they, donut day Omicron. They bang it with a wrench, and uh, and it's pretty clear that its range is being reduced in such a way that that what they recommend is what most engineers recommend is that is that they want to unplug it and then plug it back in to reset the machine, and. They make it pretty clear that they aren't sure what's going to happen if they do. The villagers are being have been told that they are holograms and that uh, they should hope for the best. I love the scene where the sheriff character comes out to ask about this because it kind of reveals like like he seems like a simpleton at the beginning like he interrogates them with his gun drawn on them in his office. He's like standing there yeah with a pistol pointed at them it and uh, they're just like sitting peacefully in their seats, and uh, <laughs> I just got such a big laugh out of him coming out and going. Odo says you know what happened to the missing villagers. Odo says you know what happened to the missing villagers. <laughs> He's such a fucking rube. Yeah, this guy. This guy is a total Dorcas. <laughs> They get everybody convinced. They're like, all right, everybody, gather around. All of you don't really exist. You're just holograms. And that's fine with us. We're not judging or anything. We're going to flip the switch and 
turn this thing back on, see if that can't bring back all the villagers that villagers that have disappeared. And it takes a little it takes a little convincing, you know. They've got the protector guy convinced, but uh, you know, Rurigan needs needs a little bit more talking into, and it winds winds up being Taya that talks him into it. But when Odo and Dax turn this thing off, everybody but Rurigan disappears. Yeah, they do a nice little dolly reveal of uh, of yeah. Rurigan behind the particulator, where yeah. it becomes clear that uh, that he was the only real one there. He. Uh, his planet was attacked by the Dominion, and all of his people were wiped up, were wiped out. So he uh, set up shop with his hollow generator and went full Barkley Ben. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of like the world's worst Kevin. <laughs> Many people have tried and failed to do what I did. Where Rurigan went wrong was he did not just make one partner for himself, but an entire village. The ruse was sure to wear thin eventually. You see, by by making one partner for myself, I'm just a little creepy. But <laughs> but in making an entire town for him to fuck, Rarigan really took things to the next level. It's something I could never do. Take it from somebody with a lot of experience with this Rarigan. If you're going to design an entire town full of characters for yourself to fuck... Don't make them all wear beads. The computer is going to have a hell of a time rendering that plausibly, and uh, it's really just going to eat up a lot of processor cycles that you could use for extra villagers to fuck or extra beds to fuck them in or whatever. No judgment by Dax or Odo, either. It's no wonder the tea in your village is so terrible, Rurgen. My tea gets top remarks on Yelp, <laughs> as does my house. <laughs> I, I like the little Santa Fe, New Mexico kind of vibe you've gone for. I personally went with more of a Malibu-type <laughs> environment, but uh, you know, Santa Fe is beautiful, and uh, no judgments there. I mean, maybe a little bit tacky with all the stucco and everything but you know to each his own to each his own I don't know anyone who's not a fan of the Spanish style roof and patio <laughs> especially in a hotter environment it's very in, pleasant. in an arid climate it's it, it really quite stunning <laughs> I don't want it to seem like I care about material things all I want is four walls and adobe slats for Rashan. Just four walls and three holes. <laughs> That's all a simple man like me requires. <laughs> four walls, three holes, and a cup of great tea. Rashan, baby, you're off the hook. <laughs> so, uh, what happens here is Rurigan gives them a pretty, a pretty sad story. He he lived on a planet that got taken over by the Dominion and uh, nothing was ever the same. And he was uh, aware of the fact that he could never go back to what he had before the Dominion came. And so he left and went to an uninhabited planet and made a holographic village playset for himself. 
I kind of feel like Rarigan left a family behind and made a new start in a creepy way. Like, yeah. So much of his of a, story uh, goes unchecked here. Yeah. A little bit of a creepy move, but it it is revealed in this scene that he he did have like truly like a a real emotional connection to these to these characters you know like he yeah the moment you question his story the the script pivots into a star trek conversation about what life is and the nature of reality and love like in in an instant we're already there yeah yeah um but i i mean in an interesting way right like the the fact that he formed a emotional bond with them is real to him you know yeah he's got the kind of two layers of of how he thinks about these people like uh, at the top he's like yeah like they seem to be real and they seem to have hopes and dreams and they seem to have relationships with me and I with them but they're fake but then like just below that is I love them and feel protective of them and you know, like the reason he's turning his back on them is that the spell has been broken briefly. But what Dax and Odo make the case for is like, hey man, like the like the feelings you have are real. Like let's not dishonor those people by like acting like those feelings aren't real. Like let's turn this thing back on. If they come back, like why leave? Why turn your back on them? You know, hearing you describe it that way made me just think about how in all three stories, there's there's sort of that duality at work. There's what you present to the world versus what you truly feel. Hmm. There's Rarigan's presentation of of his holographic town and, and the feelings that he says he has versus the ones he truly has. There's Jake's reluctance to be Team Starfleet uh, fully, even though uh, to an outward observer, he seems like like he would be the perfect fit. And then there's uh, there's Kira's relationship to Beryl, which has been, you know, pretty close to the surface the entire time, but in this episode is able to be something seen and experienced uh, by the both of them instead of being kept in secret. That's an interesting point. I mean, I, I feel like this is a little bit of a weak episode for the stated reasons about the lack of uh, emotional connection we form with this town. Yeah. But I like that you saying that makes me realize that they were going for something kind of big. They were they were shooting for the stars on this one. Right. And that's it. Like they also get great performances. Like the guy that plays Rare again is like really tortured by the feelings he has it's a great odo episode because the appeal that he makes to rarigan like he stirs it out of him yeah rarigan is resistant until odo really starts he starts interrogating him the way he would a suspect he interrogates him about his true feelings and that's yeah. an interesting scene you know the, odo's stated reason for being on this mission is that he's like looking in the gamma quadrant for any evidence he can about his people and that comes from a real like motivated place that interrogation when he says you know like don't turn your back on your own people even like no matter what 
like the stated realness of them is because mm-hmm. at least you have them. Yeah. My, my love is a So they flip the switch, the holographic town and its people come back, and uh, and the plan appears to be a success. Everyone's reunited and happy, at least on the on the planet surface. Yeah, and back on the station, Kira catches Quark and says, "Like, hey, I know you uh, sent Vedic Bryle up here to to bang me. Um, that was great. I enjoyed banging him." But don't think that you got that past me because we did catch your no good cousin with the stolen goods from the Cardassian Museum. So uh turns out I got I got both things. Bang bang. And Jake comes clean to his dad. I don't want to join Starfleet. And Cisco to his credit is really cool about it. It's not it's not a judgmental, you know overbearing father thing. It's not a Beverly and Picard are yeah. horrified. <laughs> type moment no. but I mean to Jake's I mean in Jake's defense he did not culvert starburst someone to death at right. the academy like yeah th- Jake's strategy for getting out of being in Starfleet wasn't to uh wasn't to be a bad student who was right. involved in covering up uh, an improper death right uh, <laughs> something that Danielle Radford said on the greatest discovery really uh, hit me in this scene, which is that Cisco is like a very perfect character. Yeah. He really doesn't have any frailties, you know? And and this, I mean, like, honestly, like that is one thing I like about Star Trek is like depicting characters that aren't haunted and aren't, you know, fighting by, fighing demons all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's something I like about Cisco. It's something I like about Picard too. Um, but like, it is amazing to think about a father who does not pass judgment on the hopes and aspirations of their child, just kind of has like positive, affirmative things to say to them. I mean, I I think that's, there's not a lot of TV shows that take a conversation between father and son in this direction, you know? It's not about how dysfunctional they are. It's not about a conflict they're having. It's about... Jake telling his father something that he's not sure his father is ready to hear and his father being really cool about it. There's such a difference between how you get it in this episode and how, I mean, you and I are roughly the same age, but but how you'd see this moment depicted on a TGIF 30-minute sitcom right. that wraps up in a tidy way in the end when, you know, the the music swells and the father and son embrace. Are, are you all right? Are you okay, Danny? It's okay, Dad. I'm okay. Really. I'm okay. As unreal as the idea of a perfect father is, this show manages to make the case that it's, that it's, if, if it's not aspirational, at least, then it is possible. Right. And it's not a sock puppet like Carl Winslow or Danny Tanner. It's like a, a real three-dimensional yeah. character. Yeah. Yeah, and that is that is unique to this show. I can't. Which I is struggle. not to insult those characters, like they're they're appropriate for their shows. It's just I think uh, everyone involved would be fine with making fun of Danny Tanner. Yeah, but I mean Reginald Velt Johnson's pretty awesome. No doubt. Did you like the episode, Ben? Mm, I I feel like it's 
it's an episode that I don't feel super strongly either way about. I mean, I feel like in talking about it with you, I've I've realized some things that I like about it, more things that I than I realized that I like about it. But uh, but yeah, I, uh, it's not. It's I, I don't think it's going to stick with me. You know. How about you? It is. Uh, I feel like it's the most story dense episode we've had in a long time and for its density so little happens that it really makes it unique not in a great way though i think i'm with you on it um yeah. i didn't particularly like the episode i liked some of the scenes in it i i think uh, i think kira is a 10 out of 10 in the scenes that she gets when she hauls yeah. off on quark and then gets some makeouts with vedic barile i think those are good moments for her but everything else is is a little too forgettable like i know you know i bet when you're pitching this story and you're reading the script you're thinking oh this is a great odo episode this is going to be about odo really coming to grips with you know the nature of love and relationships in a way that like could unlock him going forward right but i just don't get the sense that that he is a changed man as a result in a way that could make a real difference in whether or not this is an important or good episode in the greater DS9 universe. Mm-hmm. Like, if Taya changed him... Like, here's the thing. Like, because Odo worked so hard to convince Rarigan that Taya was worthy of his love or that all the townspeople were worthy of loving, just even though they were holograms, like, he did no inward work there. And I think if he had, it would have been important in a way that makes episodes good. Right. I mean, I think that that's sort of what they're trying to show in the in that last scene where he turns himself into a top. Right. It's just that he's like loosening up a little bit or connecting connecting with her anyways. Mm-hmm. But that felt more selfless and nice instead of him unlocking an right. inner truth about himself. Right. And it doesn't seem like he's going to go back to the station and be turning himself into tops left and right. <laughs> that just becomes his thing. <laughs> hey guys, I'm going to spin again. Anybody want to watch? No. Why not? I can never go have drinks with Odo. He's constantly spilling them all over the bar with his, <laughs> with his constant top turning. It's a real drag. That Dabo wheel has nothing on me. Get a load of this. Oh, come on, Odo. Not again. Ben, the one thing we get again and again and again are Priority One messages. Why don't we read them? Uh, yeah, let's read them. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, we have a couple of Priority One messages here for the people. Our first one is of a commercial nature, goes like this. Do you love the fun and unusual? Do you love exploring new frontiers? Of course you do! Golden Boots, Tucson, Arizona's genres-bending, ramshackly, no-wave, pop-rock, alt-alt country band invites you to check out our new EP, As You Remember Them, available for download and on cassette May 18th at goldenboots.bandcamp.com, the best site to support artists. 
Also available on iTunes, Spotify, most places you find music these days, Golden Boots proudly supports the greatest generation, Golden Boots angling to be the official band of the great of greatest gen con 2018 <laughs> and uh, the, here's the call to action calling all music loving friends of DeSoto throughout the quadrant and beyond the butthole I think yeah. if there were a music genre that I liked most it would be ramshackly yeah uh, I think these guys sent us little download codes so we should give this a listen Adam yeah absolutely uh, for more information, you can go to goldenboots.bandcamp.com. Oh, we have another Priority One message, this time of a personal nature. Ooh, it's getting personal. <laughs> message is from MU hashtag Razgals. Who is the message for, Ben? It's Mirror Universe Plavim. <laughs> is Mirror Universe Plavim good or bad? I can't keep track. Well, I know Prime Universe, Raz, is it Raz or Plavim that has the uh, the goatee? That's Plavim. Wait, do they both have goatees? I'm almost positive Prime Universe, Raz, and Plavim have goatees. So I'm, I'm going to assume that Mirror Universe versions of them do not. In Mirror Universe, are they are they uh, best of buds that don't, you- ha- that don't have a ball-busting relationship with each other? In Mirror Universe, do they have just really giant beards? Like it's, it's not opposite facial hair. It's just, it's just a lot of a lot more than you have in the more, other. Yeah, more than you have in Prime. <laughs> you, what Jesse Thorne would look fucking insane in the Mirror Universe. He'd he'd have an A and E reality show about uh, <laughs> about shooting waterfowl. <laughs> ben, the message goes like this. Mirror Universe Plavim, you champion of men, how are you? <laughs> we may be in a state of eternal war here in our twisted universe, but you, sir, are a beacon of all that is good and right in the world. I salute you. All Mirror Universe rascals salute you. <laughs> in no way should you go fuck yourself. <laughs> Join the Mirror Universe team that loves Mirror Universe Plavim, <laughs> Mirror Universe rascals, XOXO. Love you, Mirror Universe Plavim. <laughs> wow. That's nice. That really answered a lot of the questions we were asking. You know, uh, our Facebook group went Mirror Universe for a time not yeah. too long ago. Yeah, that was that was a little upsetting. It's good to see that sometimes the Mirror Universe can be kind and considerate. It's not all bad over there in the Mirror Universe. <laughs> hey, uh, that... I think that was originally scheduled for Greatest Discovery, that that P1, and for like a long time ago, and it just totally fell through the cracks because we were on a confusing schedule where we didn't ever know when we were releasing an episode. So our our apologies to everyone in the Mirror Universe for letting that happen. Uh, most especially to our P1 daddies, Raz and Plavim. Yeah. Uh, but uh, if you would like to send a Priority One message, you know what to do. Go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. It's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message. They help us make the program, and we are getting better every day at doing this. So we don't think that uh, it will be that commonplace for something to slip through the cracks for that long. We're, we're getting better for you and each other. <laughs> Gotta get that, get that, go press that.
One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen. Because these are very low dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order, plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible.
drunk Shimoda. The doofus coleus is my Shimoda. <laughs> the town bumpkin. The town bumpkin that they gave a badge and a phaser to as the sheriff. Yeah. A decision that doesn't make any sense at all. But uh, for one specific moment, I'll, I'll assign him my Shimoda label. When they demonstrate the power of the Omicron particulator, they take off his cloak and disappear it in front of him. <laughs> yeah. And like and like a fucking dummy, he's like, that was my favorite cloak. <laughs> and oh, that, no, says you know what happened to the missing villagers. Yeah, like all of his line reads are just D-U-M dumb. <laughs> <laughs> and that one in particular really struck me as great. Like uh, like just a great fun performance in the way... Th- in the, in the most Shimoda of ways, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, fun been? performance. Uh, my Shimoda is Dax. Um, you know, Dax is, uh, is a Starfleet, and she is, like, deeply steeped in Starfleet stuff because her previous, uh, her previous host was a uh, Starfleet diplomat. Like, she's really down for the cause, and yet hesitates not at all about just telling everybody hey guess what you're just a computer simulation like there is no like sense of wonder like oh like we've discovered a like a computer simulation of like people that like totally believe they're real you know like moriarty emerging from the holodeck was like a really show-stopping situation in tng and dax remarks on it not at all but also i'm not really sure how the prime directive factors into this but she does just tell everybody like, "Hey, so uh, great news, everybody! We figured out every where the disappearing people went. You're all in a computer simulation, and there were holograms, and uh, the computer just stopped representing them. So that's where they went. <laughs> like, there's no attempt to like help people help people confront the like earth shattering nature of their <laughs> of what who and what they are, you know." I will say that Rarigan is right on the line legally. <laughs> Whether or not he's recreated real people as these holograms. You might want to experiment with a latex rubber product, uh, as I have. I find that it's quite plausible as human flesh. <laughs> it's got the right sink and bounce, as they say. <laughs> I have, I have nothing. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, Ben, what do we have coming up on our very next episode? Our next episode, season two, episode 17, playing God while hosting her first Trill Initiate, Dex discovers a tiny developing universe which threatens to destroy the station as it expands. And what says Netflix. Well, it's funny you should ask, Adam, because the way Netflix describes it is Arjun, a Trill initiate trying to qualify for joining with a symbiont, is nervous that he must study under Dax. Oh, that's that's a position that Bashir wants to find himself in. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like fun. I want to know more about how, uh, how Trill life works. Yeah. It's been a while since we've had a good Dax ep, so uh, looking forward to it. Kind of a forgettable Dax season, really, season two. 
Yeah. I guess there right. was the the implantation at Phaser Point. That was season two, right? Was that season two? Yeah, I think so. But but feels like a long time ago. It does indeed. Yeah, I guess that was like that was episode four of season two. Hmm. Well, you want to see if we're going to do that episode in any particular way? I do. Uh, we're on square 51 with a quarks bar square just three squares away, Ben. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Oh, my goodness, Adam. You want me to roll some bones? You, uh, you learn as you play, Ben. I've rolled a four, Adam. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Oh, that takes us to square 55. So uh, we are <laughs> right in between. In between a quarks bar and a looking at each other during... The most expensive square on the board. <laughs> wow, yeah. Uh, I'm pretty nervous about that. TBH, we got a we got a lot of travel and stuff coming up, like for touring. So, well, tr- travel coming up for touring could make it like something that we could just grab during yeah. some touring. Yeah, I could see that. Like, it could end up working out great. You're right. It, it could. This is in no way going to be a disaster. You're you've always been the positive one, Ben. I'm so terrified of uh, of negative situations that I just gotta I gotta look at everything on the bright side. Try and trick myself into believing that that's true. How's that working out for you? <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> well, Ben, we've got to thank the friends of DeSoto, whose support makes the show possible. You can support the show yourself by going to MaximumFun.org slash donate. Get yourself plugged into our uh, our many special uh, donors-only programs. Got a bunch of live tour episodes. We've got... Uh, Got some movie episodes that we've done on the yeah. tail end of the Max Fun drives that we've been involved in. Really good stuff, and we're adding to it all the time. We've heard a lot of really great things about uh, our Hunt for Red October episode, and uh, I really appreciate all the kind tweets and Facebook messages and stuff. It's, it's really not nice. a surprise because that episode's great. Yeah, you you uh, you sent us a tweet about how you enjoyed the Hunt for Red October episode. We know you you are a supporter and we will uh, we will thank you directly. We should also thank Adam Ragusia who not only made the music for that Hunt for Red October episode but also for our Crimson Tide episode and uh, all of the all of the like Cisco version of the Picard song music that you hear on uh, Greatest Generation Deep Space 9 apps. We should also thank Dark Materia, who made the original Picard song, which is our original theme song. Music, so important to our show, Ben. Indeed. If you'd like to chat about any of this stuff online, use the hashtag GreatestGen. Adam is on Twitter, at CutForTime, and I'm at BenjaminRAHR. There's also a great Facebook group. There's a Slack channel. There's, I think there's a Twitch. Is Twitch a thing? Or is it something else? I don't remember. Twitch There's is all that kinds thing where you watch people play networks. video games, right? Yeah. Maybe, maybe people are doing that. Who knows? With that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and another episode of The Greatest Generation that's got a little space poopy on the nacelle.
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.